we were working out of the Gathering for Justice, which is Harry Belafonte's organization, and Mr. Belafonte was in the office. I don't even know what he was talking about, but because he's so brilliant, but at one point he was like, sometimes you gotta preach to the choir if you want them to keep on singing. This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Werning, and this week we're talking with Resistance Revival Chorus. This episode is chock full of their performances of protest songs, new and old, as well as their thoughts on song and sisterhood, intersectionality, singing at the Grammys with Kesha for Time's Up and the Me Too movement, parenthood, and self-care. If you're tuning in for the first time, you can learn more about us and find the links to listen on any podcast platform and even sign up for our email list at healingjustice.org. Each week, we release a conversation to inspire and lead at the intersection of healing and activism and a corresponding practice that you can try yourself or in your group to take these ideas into action. This project is totally run on free will offerings, and we welcome your support at patreon.com slash healingjustice. This month, we're offering a special limited time reward for our donors to receive an energetic medic medicine from radical herbalist Dory Midnight. It's called Yes Liberation, and it's an elixir for resilience and healing in the face of racism and oppression. It buoys our hearts and spirits for the work ahead, supports our anger to flow, ignites us with courage and creativity to transform oppressive structures and systems, and inspires radical dreaming, wild imagination, and moving with love. You can find that and more ways to give at patreon.com slash healingjustice. Resistance Revival Chorus is a collective of more than 60 self-identifying women who come together to sing protest songs in the spirit of collective joy and resistance. They honor the long tradition of music and protest songs in civil rights movements, and honor that tradition by uplifting historical songs as well as creating new ones for our current moment. They are calling for a resistance revival of our spirits, of our commitment to the movement, and of our joy and our power. We're joined today by chorus members Mia Pace, who is a talented artist and musician, and Sarah Sophie Flicker, a longtime cultural worker and a team member at the Women's March. Once in a while in this episode, you might hear them refer to the march, and that's referring to the Women's March that happened right after inauguration in 2017. They'll be sharing more about their stories, so thank you for being here with us. Here we go. Well, I went down to the rich man's house and I took back what he stole from me, took it back. Under my feet, under my feet, under my feet, gonna let the system walk all over me. 
Hi, Sarah Sophie. Hi, Mia. Hi. <laughs> Thanks, y'all, for sitting with me this morning. And I am so pumped to be talking to you about Resistance Revival Chorus, especially because I got to come and enjoy your recent show at Joe's Pub here in New York, which was a total blast and like electric energetic. And I really respect the ways in which you're really rooting this work in uh, your constant framing around joy as an act of resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that with the conversations that we've had around healing on this podcast so far, there's so much to dive into about healing that is deep and complex and solemn and reverent. And sometimes we can lose this piece around playfulness and joy that is so essentially healing too. And so I would love to just begin by asking each of you, like before we get into more formally around the chorus, what um, have been the life experiences or the sequence of events that have led you to this moment of sort of combining your commitment to joy and music with resistance? Maybe we could start with you, Mia. Okay. Seems like such a long journey. <laughs> I've always been a singer. Uh, I was raised in church, going to church and singing and, you know, sort of doing the right thing. As I got older and things started to become more important to me, like just my own well-being and um, my own health care and my parents who are getting older, I started to just read more and read the paper and get more into what's going on in Washington and things like that. And then in walks Barack Obama, and I needed to help make that happen. So that was kind of the start of, okay, I need to help, you know, change things. I need to make things better. And then obviously uh, the next part of that was um, the coming of Donald Trump. It really changed me in a way I can't even describe in words. It made me feel like everyone needs to be an activist at this point. And so when I was called to sort of be in my own space, hey, you're a singer, this is what you do. How about using your art to help us with this movement that I was already so passionate about? Trying to find a way to help bring change. You know, the Resistance Revival Chorus was a great outlet and a great platform for me to do that. What'd you Sarah Sophie? Um, like me, it feels like a long story. My parents, um, in different ways, sort of have a history of activism and social justice work, so I was brought up with that. I also uh, was a serious dancer, a serious mm. um, young actor in the musical theater, <laughs> and, um, and then also really interested in activism and social justice work, and I focused on womanist studies at Mills College and then went on to law school where I studied constitutional law and social justice-leaning things and did not take the bar. But um, <laughs> at any rate, I, I had always sort of had this balance between, you know, political interests and cultural interests. And so as soon as I was done with law school, I just sort of merged those two. And I have been the creative director of a political theater group called The Citizens Band for about oh, 14 years. And um, I've been organizing everything from get out the vote campaigns to actual get out the vote trips with you know a few hundred people every election. I have done a lot of work in the reproductive justice world. I have and then you know basically my work f 
focuses on creating content around the intersection of politics and culture. Mm. So before the election, I was sort of working tangentially for the last four months after the primaries with the Clinton campaign. And then three days after the election, where I had been in Philly um, getting out the vote, I went straight into the Women's March. And I have three kids and um, have a husband who is wonderful and travels a lot. So um, for the last couple years, I've, I've been solo parenting. I think it really was like a week after the election. My friend Ashley Seaford, who's an incredible writer, wrote something that her grandma had told her about joy being an act of resistance and that no one was meant to fight all the time. And then as I went back and sort of like looked into that idea, there's a poet whose name I'm going to not pronounce correctly called Toy Derricott. And she wrote a poem about joy being an act of resistance that mm. has just really stayed with me. And when we were organizing the march, I remember one night we were working out of the Gathering for Justice, which is where Carmen Perez is the director of and Harry Bella, it's Harry Belafonte's organization. And Mr. Belafonte was in the office. I don't even know what he was talking about, but because he's so brilliant. But at one point he was like, sometimes you got to preach to the choir if you want them to keep on singing. We have all the people we need. It's just about inspiring each other and engaging each other and, and, and making sure that every voice is at the table. And so that comment really stuck with me. And then I remember on a day without a woman, which was a, a bit over a year ago, I was with Nalini Stamp and we were at the front of this march and she was singing, you know, with the bullhorn. And I was like, Nalini, we have got to get some music back into this movement. Like, what are we doing? You know, and, and just recognizing that we were also depleted. And so it was selfish on the one hand, but also realizing that like, that's kind of what people need right now is a feeling of being in community and and bringing some joy to this. Otherwise, we're all going to poop out. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go with other boys. And don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to say And please, when I go out with you Don't put me on display Cause you don't own me Don't try to change me in any way You don't own me Don't tie me down cause I I love that image of like preaching to the choir mm -hmm. intentionally to keep the choir singing. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious too, like after that moment at the front of the March with Nalini, like what were the steps that happened next and who got excited that now all of a sudden we have this 70 plus member thriving right. chorus. Yeah. Just because like, it was funny, Nalini and I were obnoxious about it. We were like, music, music, <laughs> singing. And everyone was like, we're working. What are you talking about? We're like, no, we can't keep working without it. We, the, we need music and we need to push out, you know, songs that people can sing at rallies and sit-ins and marches and whatever it is. Yeah. So Nalini and I finally met by ourselves 
thank you very much, <laughs> and <laughs> a few times. <laughs> and um, she came up with the name, the Resistance Revival Chorus. Mm. And and then, you know, I think once we sort of had a little bit of structure in place, then a lot of the other organizers we work with got really excited, like specifically Ginny Suss and Paola Mendoza. Ginny was the musical director of The March and has worked with The Roots and OK Africa and OK Player and is just this incredible organizer of creativity in, in her own right. And so she was the one, and you can speak to this, Mia, who put it up on Facebook to her community of incredible singers and... Yeah. I happen to just be in Jenny's world. I mean, you know, we've been friends for years and um, she stumbled upon me years ago um, singing in Brooklyn. You know, at the time, just even creatively in my own life, I had been craving, one, some spiritual healing to be around other women who will support you and push you and just kind of be mentors and you know, a friend or just someone to sit around and, and sing with, mm -hmm. with no obligations. Mm -hmm. And that is what I thought I was getting into. And little did I know, like, so many women coming together would be such a force. What have been some of the powerful kind of interventions as you've gone out into the world as a chorus? Like where have you been able to bring song, bring protest music that you feel like have been like useful interruptions of, of what previously, you know, before Nalini had the bullhorn might have felt like a, a musicless or a joyless environment? I mean, to Mia's point, none of us were sure exactly what it would be. I mean, I knew from having done the Citizens Band and just, you know, I think we all can agree, especially within the organizing space. I can't remember a time where I have been to more meetings, like listened to more panels, been on more panels, you know, been in rooms talking together, trying to ideate and your brain just gets full sometimes and you, and it, you feel like you have nothing to contribute. So, you know, I think going into this, we were clear that this music, this idea of music and resistance would um, open up a space in our brains, in our hearts, you know, in our energetic flow. But it was interesting that first rehearsal at my house, no one kind of knew what it was and then we walked in <laughs> and the second we all started singing, we were like, Oh, <laughs> um, we have to take this really seriously because yeah. this is important and it feels good and it sounds amazing and this is going to bring a lot of light. Thank <laughs> you. 
every time we're on stage, it's just so powerful to, to be standing with women and just being in a real place of like power and vulnerability and creativity and love and all these things all at once. I just think for people to see this big group of women doing that is really important because I can't think of another example of it necessarily. You know, I think as an audience member, I imagine that's probably what is striking about it to just see women in their power like that. And by in their power, I don't mean power in like a masculine coded way. I mean power in like a specifically feminine coded way, whatever that mm-hmm. means to you, you know? We make people listen. We make people stop what they're doing. And sometimes when people speak, you you can lose people. You don't always um, capture everyone when you're speaking to them, at them. But when you sing to them, and then you sing with them, people can hear things that maybe might get lost in a speech or a panel. You speak to people's hearts. Like in this <laughs> moment where we're talking so much about calling people in versus calling people out and, mm-hmm. and engaging people in a narrative um, versus like shoving something down their throats, I think mm-hmm. music and art, you know, there's a reason why it's been used throughout time at Memorial to change hearts and minds. And it's because you can meet people where they're at Mm -hmm. with it. Speaking of meeting people where they're at, we have actually, this is about the fourth conversation on this podcast that we're we're having about music and creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to exactly what you name, which is like both the long tradition of music as central to struggle. And the unique moment that we're in, in terms of continuing to always like reinfuse and update and and carry that into the streets now, right? One thing that does strike me as really unique about Resistance Revival Chorus is that it's all women, but it's also incredibly racially diverse. Mm -hmm. What has it been for you to sort of hold intersectionality and the very different ways in which folks are experiencing oppression in these times? and also hold a group that's singing in unison, despite those differences, right? Nothing feels uncomfortable with these women. We talk about everything. We talk about being a woman and kids. I don't have kids, but you know, there's, there's women who you know, talk about being moms and how hard it is and I had to get to rehearsal or I had to mm-hmm. do this today with my kid. Or I couldn't come because, you know, like, No one's ashamed of being a woman. No one's ashamed of being black. No one's ashamed of anything. And so when you are on that same page with all of these wonderful women who are all great in their own right, it it does take everything up a notch. You become, you know, really powerful and you can actually share joy with people who feel the same things that you feel. The thing that I'm really the most proud of, of the work that we did was the unity principles and this idea of like aggressively and intentionally and strategically pushing out, um, you know, models of intersectional organizing that didn't initially like land in the easiest way with people, you know, because to be honest, you know, the biggest percentage of women's march 
audience and women who have marched are white older women and um leading up to the march and even directly after there was a lot of like well you know why is your platform why are there so many issues why is it so complicated and you know and we you know we have had to push out over and over again when you were talking about women you have to talk about all women when you're talking about all women that includes everything from you know, disability rights to immigration, to Black Lives Matter, to reproductive justice, to health care, to, you know, it on and on and on. We are over 52% of the population. You know, so we really grounded the chorus in that idea. And also really the basis of the chorus was based in the unity principles, was based in um, another campaign we created called Daring Discussions. And also like where we really were intentional about okay where did we fail you know certainly with the women's march one thing that was not you know and is i'm still a work in progress is how do you create structure without replicating systems of oppression and how for example like one of the big ones that Mia just spoke to was um parenthood you know like how do you create models that support and uplift mothers specifically because that's who we're working with and that was not something we did incredibly well in the in women's march and um and it's something we're really trying to be intentional about so you know we have little working groups where there are people who are in charge of making sure that if people need support with babysitting or need to share babysitters or if we need to you know, there have been plenty of times where I have not had a babysitter and everyone was generous enough to come to my house. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so how do we uplift that? Can we bring, can we make, you know, the space a kid-friendly place so if you need to, you can bring kids? It's little things like that. You know, I think we focus a lot on transparency, you know, because inevitably there are, like, financial parts of it mm -hmm. that, you know, no one ever wants to talk about. We take great pains to talk about all that stuff. For me, at least as a very privileged white lady, I really, you know, understand that like sometimes my silence is the most revolutionary thing I have to offer. So listening and creating a space that generates all those things. I think about the idea of like peace is not the absence of conflict, right? Like what is, how do we create a real peace where justice is present and so peace can exist of almost like the the joy that you're generating is built on the foundation of what each of you are talking about the accountability that you have the transparency you have the intersectionality analysis the principles like those relationships are built on something real a lot of the times being in a choir has nothing to do with joy it should <laughs> you know it should <laughs> but sometimes some people don't realize why they're there and people are there for the wrong reasons. The people who may direct the choir may be there for some sort of other reason. It could just be a job, you know, a check. Sometimes there are choirs that are, you know, oh, we gotta find the best singers mm -hmm. in the world, in the city, in the, you know, wherever. But that doesn't create joy either. And I know that because, you know, there are women in our course who are not Aretha Franklin. Don't get me wrong. Everyone in the course can sing. Everyone in the course can hold a note beautifully. There are women who are super women in other paths 
And so that, you know, to bring that to the room and share that is very uplifting. And that is what brings the joy. Everyone being themselves and being authentic and uplifting each other. You can see it. You can feel joy. It makes us happy to do it. It's great. I want to ask a little bit about interplay with mainstream culture as okay. a strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because one of the statements in the online toolkit that you all offer that we'll be sharing in the show notes of, so that people can start their own resistance revival chorus locally um, says that our movement must be fueled by equal parts protest and culture. And a huge thing that happened this past year is that members of your chorus, I think including you, Mian, I'm not sure if you were there, Sarah Sophie, but went on stage at the Grammys and performed with Kesha for the song Praying in recognition of Time's Up and the Me Too movement. And clearly there there is an analysis here around like, how can we show up in these mainstream places, right? And bring resistance or bring something that speaks to people. Also, showing up in mainstream places often means compromise. Like, those places aren't holding all of the principles that you talked about, Sarah Sophie, right? Like, why is it necessary for us to engage in mainstream culture if our movement is to be successful? You know, we can all agree that this country is, you know, divided as it has been for a very, very long time. These issues aren't new, but we're certainly like getting our facts from two completely different sources. Mm-hmm. A lot of times policy follows culture and not the reverse. You know, and it just so happens that Paula, Ginny and I um, were thrown together, you know, with the Women's March a week after the election and our areas of expertise just happened to be in creating um, political and cultural content. I mean, that's just what we do. So we saw, just using the Women's March as an example, I think this could go for anything. But, um, you know, there was a lot of skepticism, a lot of pushback, you know, so many issues amongst different communities about what the Women's March was doing right, what they were doing wrong. You know, in the one area where I think we just really pushed the whole thing forward and got it over the the various humps was really, um, with our cultural outreach. It's intentional, you know, like Sarah Sophie is saying, like if you have to, you have to do it on purpose. You go into what's already smoking. This is what is in people's daily lives. It's already cooking. Let's just get in there and, you know, bring the good stuff to it. And let's put some actual content that people can learn from mm-hmm. and you never know who you'll wake up going to someone where they already are. When we got on stage at the Grammys, I don't think anyone saw this coming. The looks on people's faces, people were waking up. People were waking up and sure, I'm sure there were people there who were outraged. But the great thing is people were proud and supportive and you know, people were uplifted who had no voice. And I was happy to do that. And it was fun. fun. (laughs) Yes. I don't know how you all did it without crying. Nalini and I were sitting in front of the TV, like (laughs) ugly crying. And we were laughing so hard that we started filming ourselves. And then I looked behind me and my husband who happened to be home was on the couch, ugly crying. But to your point also about, um, bringing social justice 
into spaces that don't necessarily mirror the principles. Mm -hmm. I think that we all have different theories of change and I think they're all relevant and the people who believe that that's not a place worthy of going into should absolutely push the boundaries from that end. That's not what I believe and I, I do think people are suffering and people are afraid and people are dying and that right now is not the time to for me at least to be a purist who's not willing to go into spaces or vote for people or whatever it is like we have got to we've got to like radically shift the the status quo right now and i mean and then we can like get into all that we can continue to work on all that stuff although i'm glad those people are there because we all we hold a shape together, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I'm really grateful for the people who are willing to be really radical and and be at the really progressive, progressive, progressive margins of things and hold everyone else accountable because I think those are important conversations. So I think we all serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. I am really glad we went on the Grammys because <laughs> I think it, you know, it helped a, a conversation we were already happening and push it a little bit forward. And like I said, like get into people's living rooms who might mm-hmm. not normally be engaging in that conversation. And, you know, part of the power of um, the cultural work is that inherently we're telling stories, right? And it's really hard to hate anyone whose story you know. So anyone watching that Kesha performance, like that was her story. And and the chorus and everyone else on that stage was there to uplift her story. she was so visibly vulnerable and both in her power and in this really vulnerable place and it's just a uniquely powerful position so I will always support things like that because I think they work. And we 
you think about it, just the act of singing is very therapeutic. You're breathing, mm -hmm. you know, you're moving, you're standing up, your your body is constantly doing what it does naturally, but but pushing and pushing and pushing. And then you get these these beautiful sounds in the room that are so uplifting. It really is powerful for oneself. I love hearing that it is still like that place of refuge for both of you too, because I feel as an organizer and someone also working on a creative project, like sometimes when you realize that there's medicine in a thing, but then you've become the organizer of bringing people together around mm -hmm. that. Sometimes it's not, it doesn't get to be as fully your own medicine anymore because mm -hmm. now it's another thing that you're holding, right? Right, right. Um, on that note, like just thinking about what has been liberatory for each of you personally, I would love to just hear about like if there's a particular performance or action or song that has been like the juice for you <laughs> in terms of like you, your deepest moment of joy and healing in this process over the last year or the song that every time you all sing it like you tear up or get goosebumps you know what I mean yeah what has been that moment for you in this past year well for me it's been this song ain't gonna let nobody turn me around mm -hmm. and that is that is an old protest song you know that was you know people sang it in church and they sang it marching down the street um, so that was always a song that I knew about in my family and I performed it solo one one time at the um, at uh, one of our resistance nights at Rockwood Music Hall and I thought I was doing it solo but that's not how it ended up and it was amazing you know the the chorus joined in the people joined in mm. the audience joined in everyone joined in and by the end of the song everyone was singing it and so now that song for me it feels like community it feels like protest it's all inclusive for whatever it is that uh, you need to get out um, that's the song that gives me chills changes like depending <laughs> on what 
you know, is at the front of my mind. You yeah. know, like different songs surprise, don't you feel like different songs and Absolutely. different lyrics surprise you at different times? Sure. You know, and then I always really marvel at the professional singers because like, I'm always so happy to not be in the front row because sometimes <laughs> I just feel like I crumble and I'm like, and I can't even get the words out. I have to like look at the ground or something. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I'm surrounded by all these professionals too. Like I could not have gotten on the stage and sang that Kesha song. Like that was, I would have been a hot mess. So, you know, grateful for the professionals. Um, <laughs> You know, Ella's song was the first song we all learned together, which was also the song that we sang with Toshi Reagan, um, whose mother is, you know, Sweet Honey in the Rock. And um, so, you know, for Toshi to have allowed us to sing that song at, on stage at the Women's March was the last song we sang. I was on stage that day with my, at the time, nine-year-old daughter. And then for us to have that be the first song we learned. And there's, you know, that song is hard um, to sing. And I, can't, and I can't believe that was the first song we all sang together. That remember. It was so hard. Um, a lot of words and um, different, uh, you know, I'm not even a real singer, but, you know, there's different parts where people are coming in at different times the yeah. whole thing. But that song often like surprises me. Uh, the lyrics are uh, Until the killing of black men. Until the killing of black men, black mother's son is, sons is as important as the killing of white men, white mother's sons. And so like sometimes that's the line that gets me and then sometimes with that song when um, Me Too was going viral, because as we all know, it has existed for a decade. Um, but when it was going viral a few months ago and you were, you know, having all these feelings and reading all, all these testimonials, um, it, the part about I'm a woman who speaks in a voice, it's, so it's all quoted from Ella Baker, who, you know, incredible woman, uh, organizer, civil rights leader, you, know, you all know who she is, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm a woman who speaks in a voice and I must be heard at times I can be quite difficult, I'll bow to no man's word. Um, right. That one hit right. me, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, yes. and here we are all singing that together, it's so badass. It is. Yeah, it is. Is there any final call to action or invitation that you would want to make to folks listening around how we can experience more joy together as we fight? I mean, I guess the thing that I have kept thinking about as we've been discussing this is, you know, when we talk about um, joy or community, like those things don't just happen in a vacuum. I think you have to do the work first and like intentionally do the work and be willing to have the daring discussions and realize that if you aren't uncomfortable, you might not be doing it or doing it right, at least. Um, so I will say, I think, not that we don't all deserve joy, but like, I do think collective joy has to be earned a little bit. And mm -hmm. and I am 
you know, and I, and I guess like it's instructive to say like, I think as a group we've been doing the work and certainly have like navigated yeah. some uncomfortable, many uncomfortable situations and conversations and, and um, I would just encourage those. Yes, definitely um, to piggyback on that, you have to do it on purpose. You have to go into it. The reward is the space of joy. That is the reward. But, you know, if you go into it with a uncomfortable, like lazy attitude, you're never going to get to that authentic place. But if you're not afraid to have the conversations, if you're not afraid to look at another person and see them and see what they're going through as a mother, as a, a woman, as a as an activist, as you know, whatever it is they are in their life, you know, to see them, you know, that's, that's where it comes from. You have to do the work on purpose and it has to be uncomfortable and it, you know, sometimes is hard, but once you get over that hump, it is, it is liberating and it is joyous. Part of that toolkit we put out is really encouraging people to not only show up for communities outside your own, mm -hmm. but if you are planning on organizing a course, like branch out a little bit. I mean, I do think that's where change happens and I'm a big fan of like reaching out outside of your comfort zone. Thank you both so much for sharing with us. Thanks for having us.
you just heard a conversation between Mia Pace, Sarah Sophie Flicker, and Kate Werning. You can find the link to the toolkit to start your own Resistance Revival Chorus in the show notes. Download the next episode of the podcast to practice singing for freedom with Resistance Revival Chorus member Abana Kumsan Davis. It's a practice you can do alone or in a group, and you get to hear Abana's beautiful voice and join in if you want to. This is the fourth episode series that we have done about music as collective healing, so I'm starting to think that it's kind of central to what we're up to in our movements. Uh, If you really like listening to songs and learning how you can bring song into the work that you're doing, I highly recommend checking out our conversation with If Not Now in episode 16, our conversation with the Flowbots in episode 19, and when we talk with the Peace Poets in episode 23. Remember to check out patreon.com slash healingjustice to see the rewards you can get for donating to support the podcast. Every bit of support really counts, so thank you for your generosity. And there are so many songs with their own histories in this episode. Please check out the show notes for the credits to honor the origins of these songs. You can stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find us at Healing Justice, sharing some pretty gorgeous stuff every single day. And big, big thanks for the editing work of Park Ballantine and Mira Al-Rahim, as well as the mixing and production work of Zach Meyer at The Coal Room. Thank you for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us. Hear you next week.